right, so um, I don't know if, if you've ever done any uh, weapons training or um, uh, hand-to-hand combat type stuff, you might have seen this, uh, this chart right here. Uh, it's, it's called the, the um, uh, situational awareness chart. And it, it's really simple. Um, who, who's seen this? All right, so basically what this chart is, it's uh, to help you, when you walk into a situation, really be aware of what's going on. So this is going to go through it real fast. White right there is kind of like when you're at home and you just turn on the TV and you just want to lounge, right? It's, it's white. You are just relaxed. You're not worried about anything. Um, in fact, this can actually happen just walking around. So I walked into my house yesterday and I was in white. Um, and my little daughter jumps out from behind the, the wall and scares me, okay? Um, I wasn't prepared. I was, I was at home. I was in my comfort zone, and so I wasn't prepared for it, and that's white. And actually, people say that a lot, most people live their lives in white, um, and so like when you're driving down the road and you're just kind of, you're enjoying the music, right? And all of a sudden, where'd that car come from that just passed me, right? It's white. You're living in white. Um, the next one is where they say that you, you should live your life as mo- most uh, as possible as you can, especially if you carry a firearm, um, is you're living in this, you're relaxed, but you're aware. Okay, so this is where you go and, you know, you might go to, um, I always do this with my family. Um, I always sit with my back so I can watch the door, wherever that is. Um, and it, um, if I go out to eat with someone and I know they are not carrying a firearm, I make sure their back is against the wall. I mean, a back is against the door um, because that way they're a shield, right? And then um, they're fine. So, but yeah, I, I do a lot of lunches with Gabe back there. Um, I make sure that he sits with his back to the, to the door. But um, so no, but you want, you want to just be aware of your surroundings. So it's things like, you know, our heat right now, right, in um, the desert, there are certain things that people don't wear, right? Um, you don't wear usually hoodies in 100-degree heat because, yeah, teenagers do because they're nuts. Um, but when you see someone in 100-degree heat, right, with a hoodie, it's like that's weird, right, and your attention is drawn to it, um, especially like if someone's wearing their hoodie over their head or you see people fighting, right? You, you zone in and you see it, and so now you're aware, right? And so it's just being aware of your surroundings. It's getting out of your car, right, um, at the gas station, and just looking. I just watched a video not too long ago where uh, a truck driver, they had pulled up to a gas station, and they were in white. The guy was um, filling up, and he would, had his passenger side door open, and he was just in doing whatever, and the guy comes up behind him with a knife. And got his wallet and his and his phone because he was in the, the truck driver was in white, and the other guy took advantage of that. So those are the first two. The next one is okay. You saw the guy, right? You saw the fight, and now oh my goodness, someone just pulled a gun, right? In that fight, and now okay, now I need to assess the situation, right? So you're going into that orange state, and now you're starting to formulate a plan. Okay, well what happens if that gun turns this way, right? Or if they start walking my way, or if, or if whatever, right? If that, this is defensive driving, right? So you're driving down the road, and you see ahead that the lanes are going to be merging. So, okay, what do I need to do, right? And what happens if someone cuts me off? 
I don't know if you do this when you drive. I always figure, okay, if that guy comes over, I can go that way if need to be. Okay. You know, and so that is orange, right? Living your life in orange. And finally, red is that, okay, now I have to enact my plan, right? I got to actually do it. So that guy pulls a gun. What do I do, right? The, the car comes in front of me. What do I do, right? Now I actually have to do it. I have to pull off or I have to, you know, fight or evade or whatever needs to happen. So that's that. And most, most of them talk about this. There is a black one that people talk about. But these are the four main ones that are talked about in the situational awareness. And it's all about identifying what's going on around you. And that's the big thing is if you can identify, if you're paying attention enough and you can identify something, then you have a better chance of going home to your loved ones type of thing. So, but it's this idea of being able to identify something or having something identified that we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be covering, if you're looking, the first uh, three sections of it, all right? So as you open up to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 1. We're going to be looking at the entire uh, 20, or 20 verses of chapter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 5. It's a pretty long uh, chapter. But as we do that, let's kind of go over what we've talked about so far. Um, in the first eight weeks, right, so this is our ninth week, we're, in the first eight weeks, it's all been about the identity of Jesus, right? So, so far, we've just been looking at the identity. In the first seven weeks, it's all about people, people proclaiming Jesus' Jesus's identity. So, we had the genealogies, we had the wise men. We had um, uh, John the Baptist, and we had God the Father all proclaim Jesus' identity, who Jesus was. And some of those parts of his identity is he's a king like David, he's a prophet like Moses, he's the Old Testament Messiah, and he is the unique Son of God. Okay, so those are the four identities that we've been talking about that make up Jesus' full identity. And so then we talked about how the devil challenges this, right? The devil challenges this identity in chapter 4 when he, with the temptations. And we saw that Jesus rejected those challenges, those temptations, because that's not who Jesus was. And then we immediately, in our eighth week, we go into this situation where Jesus now says, okay, this is who I am, right? We talked about the kingdom. We talked about Jesus calling people, the, the repentance that needs to happen to, to get into the kingdom. And so we talked all about this um, through these last eight weeks. And so now we're going to be shifting into Jesus' own teachings. Um, we're going to spend several weeks in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Um, we're going to do some in-depth stuff with these. Um, but really, again, these summer series are to help us see the big pictures of Scripture. So we're covering large quantities rather than really going verse by verse. Okay? And the reason why is because sometimes we just need to step back and just see the big picture of what the Scriptures are saying rather than every single nitty-gritty part. Okay? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to just read through verses 1 through 20. And the reason why we're doing this is because it's good to hear the whole thing because Matthew's written to be heard. Right, And so we're hearing the whole thing, and then we'll go back and we'll actually kind of go through it. All right, So here we go. Um, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, this is talking about Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before men that, you, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, but will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a lot there. In fact, people, you, we could go through and spend weeks just on the beatitude part. There's a lot that's going on in this passage. But let's look at it. So in my Bible, it, it puts it into three sections. But we're going to have p- four parts of it. Okay, And we're not doing it based on anything except what as the Scripture goes. So the first part is this identity, right? So we've been talking. The first four chapters has all been about whose identity? Jesus' identity, right? And so we get one last bit before we go into the teaching of Jesus' identity. It says that he goes up onto the mountain. This is big stuff because we've already talked about earlier how Jesus is paralleled, right, with Moses. Jesus is paralleled with Moses because he's a prophet after Moses, like Moses. And so Jesus goes up like the prophet. So Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. And this is a big theme throughout the whole of Old Testament. Abraham goes to Mount Moriah. Um, you have the whole of Israel comes out to Mount Sinai. You have um, Elijah that goes out to Mount Carmel and then out to another um, mountain later. And so you have these mountain experiences. This is where we get that term, mountaintop experience, right? These are encounters with God. And so what does Jesus do? He goes up onto the mountain to teach. And this should point us first to Moses, because he's a prophet like Moses. Moses did this. From the mountain, he taught the people the commands of God. But there's a difference here, because as we get going and we start seeing, one of the things we talked about earlier a couple weeks ago was Jesus' words. When Moses would come down and he spoke the words of God, he would say, this is what God says, or thus saith the Lord. This type of language. But what does Jesus say when he starts teaching? You have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say. It's a very different thing because Moses was speaking on behalf of God and Jesus is speaking because he is God. And so it's a different language. So yes, he is a prophet like 
like Moses, but he is greater. And his words are the commands. It's not just a prophet, but rather the unique son of God, that identity right here. And so you have two identities smashing together in this one moment. Yeah, he's like the prophet, but he's greater than the prophet. Okay? So we have this one part, okay? And we can't miss that because it's the transition from this is who Jesus is and here's his moment to shine, right? He's getting up to do his first teaching and now let's move on to the next part, right? We identify who this Jesus is. He's the prophet, but he is God, okay? So his words coming next are really important. And what's the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That, hold on to that, okay? Hold on to that because that's really important. Those are the first words he speaks, okay? But he says other things, right? He goes in, and so he starts talking, and we get the Beatitudes, which just means the greatly blessed, okay? So it's just the greatly blessed, right? And so, so he says, here are the greatly blessed, and he identifies them. They're poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek or they're humble, Okay? They thirst for righteousness. Okay? They, they're merciful. Okay? They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. And they're persecuted. Okay? So all this stuff is the blessed. Right? That's really important stuff because you have this moment where Jesus identifies. Okay? So we have the identity of Jesus. And now he's identifying those who inherit the kingdom. And he goes through this and he starts saying, they are. Right? So if we go back into the, the scriptures right there, he says, blessed are the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Right? And, he, and this, this thing keeps going through the whole thing. And we end with this at the end, right? In verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of the righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so there, this whole thing is sandwiched to identify who's Whose is the kingdom, right? We talked last week about what the kingdom is. Okay, well, who gets it? The greatly blessed. What, how are you, can you identify those greatly blessed? Here you go. Here's a short list, right? And so you have this whole thing that these are the greatly blessed ones, okay? That these are those who are going to be identified as Jesus's disciples. And so once you, once we understand that we have the identity of Jesus, right? He's, he's the God come down, right? He's the fulfillment, right? He's the parallel prophet. He's the Davidic king. He's the Messiah of the Old Testament. Okay, now he identifies his people. This is who gets the kingdom. Here's the short list. And then what's the next part? He says, you are salt and light, right? This is part three. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And this interesting salt language right because you have salt that is good right how many of you guys like put salt on things right you like your salt okay some people put a little too much on right oh man i love i we go off with pastor jeff just and if they didn't have salt he would have salt packets (laughs) i was like do you want some food with that salt or are you just good and uh, he's like, you don't get enough salt, Jeremiah. I was like, you have all the salt for both of us here. And, uh, but, you know, the salt, because why? It flavors, right? It, it, um, 
It preserves. It does its job. But what's interesting is there's other types of salt, especially in this region. Right? You have the Dead Sea salt, which had all these different minerals and stuff in it, and so they couldn't use it for, for flavoring or for preserving. And so what they would do is they would take that salt and just put it on footpaths. And so Jesus is making an allusion here. He's saying, look, you want to be that salt, right? That is the flavorful, that's useful, not the trampled stuff, right? And then he talks about the light of the world. He talks about the lamp. He talks about the city. And the purposes of the light is to shine, right? And if you have, you know, we have those nice uh, lamps where you put the little lampshade on it. You take those lampshades off. You can really see. In our living room, we have no overhead lighting. We have one lamp. That lamp does not have a shade on it because it needs to light the whole room. And so I put this little tiny lamp, and it still hasn't gotten plugged in. But So we're trying to make more light. But that light is for the whole room because it needs to be, right? But it's interesting that Jesus goes, okay, so he goes into identifying those who, who are getting the kingdom, and then he says, this is what you're going to do. This is who you are, right? So it's, his, it's the mission. It's their mission. This is your mission, to be flavorful and to preserve, right? To be useful in this world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that salt, right? It's getting it out there. And that light, it's not... And so this whole idea of putting the as he said, puts the um, cover on the lamp. You don't do that. Why? Because the lamp needs to get out, right? It needs to shine. And so this mission of taking what Jesus has given and letting it shine before men, being in the world, this types of stuff. And so you have Jesus' identity, you have the, his disciples' identity, you have the disciples' mission, and then you come to this ending part, and it's almost kind of out of left field, where he starts talking about the law. And he goes from, okay, you're going to be salt and light. And then the next thing you would assume would be more information about us, right? The disciple. But instead, he pulls it back, and he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And right here, you get a sense that Jesus is sandwiching our identity as disciples and our mission as disciples in his identity. Right? This whole time, this whole lead-up is who Jesus is. We get a small snippet of who the disciples of Jesus are. And then we're right back to who Jesus is. And he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And it's, and it's here, there's a lot that's going on in, the, in just this part. But he goes into this idea of fulfillment of the law. And so Jesus fulfills the law. And this idea of fulfillment is everything that's been spoken of. One of the, the worst things that we can do as believers is to cut out the Old Testament from our reading. There's so much good stuff in the Old Testament. Why? Because it's the Word of God. Everything, everything is leading up to this moment where Jesus is standing on this mountain, or sitting on this mountainside and proclaiming, and then He's going to be going into the law 
just like a brief overview of the law, and yet he says, I have come to fulfill it. What does that even mean? Everything up to this point has been leading to this moment. Noah being saved. The Tower of Babel. Abraham being called out. Isaac being God giving that as a gift to the, the, to the older Abraham and Sarah. The Israelites going into Egypt. The Israelites being there and being called out of Egypt. The Israelites going into Canaan. The Israelites going through all the judgments. The temple being built. Being destroyed. The Israelites going into exile. The Israelites coming out of exile. The second temple being built. All of it is pointing to one and only thing. Jesus. Because in Jesus, everything makes sense. Everything is fulfilled in this one person. In the God who's come down. In the one that fulfills all these prophecies that were made. And so when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill, he's saying everything. And it's all going to make sense. You get to the end of Luke. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is resurrected and he's with two of his disciples and it says that he opened the scriptures and showed us everything that pointed to him. The whole of the scriptures points to Jesus. And so he says, I've come to fulfill. And this is important stuff. Because when he gets into the next part, and we'll start this in a couple weeks. When he gets into that next part of talking about it and saying, you have heard it said, but I say, people would instantly just hear, if he doesn't say this one moment, if he doesn't enforce his identity, right, reinforce who he is, then the people would just go, well, he's just blaspheming. Right? He's just saying He's, he's usurping the word of God. And Jesus is like, just to let you know, I'm fulfilling everything that's said. So when he goes to talk about, you've heard it said, but I say, it's a fulfillment of everything. And so Jesus takes us deeper when we get to that point. But you have these four sections. You have this section of Jesus and his identity, our identity, our mission, if we put our trust in the Jesus, and then Jesus' identity all sandwiched together. And so, one of the biggest things that we need to know is, can we do anything without Christ? No. Everything about us is in Christ. But the thing is, and the natural question should be, right when we're all done with this, is, okay, how then am I to be identified as, as a disciple, right? So, if I understand Jesus' identity... I need to understand my identity, which is in Christ, right? So how do we get to that point? How do we get, and this might be rudimentary for some of you and, and not for others, but how do I become a disciple? How do I get the kingdom? Well, Jesus ends this whole thing with this, right? In the last few verses, he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what do we need to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? 
We need to surpass the Pharisees. We need to surpass, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this done, but someone says, well, I'm a pretty good person, right? What's that standard based on? What we call good, right? Well, I don't cheat, I don't steal, I don't, you know, what is that old saying? I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go around with girls that do, right? And so, this idea is, there's, I, can, I have the standard, and Jesus says, okay, here's your standard, you've got to be better than the best. You've got to be better than the best to get into the kingdom. Okay. Now, let's, let's be honest. If you were to take your, your goodness, and everyone know who Mother Teresa is? Could you out-good Mother Teresa? Okay. Could you out good, you know, I don't know if you guys, there's a guy named Jim Elliott. I'll tell you the story real fast. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary down in um, Southern, uh, South America. He wanted to reach this unreachable group, so he goes out there, him and his buddies, and guess what? They're all killed. Could you out good Jim Elliott? How about his wife? His wife then goes to that same group and says, I forgive you. And the whole group comes to Christ. Could you outgood her? See, when we start putting ourselves against each other, we can outgood each other, right, to a certain point. But then if we're honest with each other, I can't even outgood certain people. And Jesus says it needs to surpass even them. Okay. So I can't. You know, this. how do I get to the kingdom? How do I get it? I can't. I can't get to the kingdom. Because I can't surpass someone else's goodness. And that's not even the standard. That's just a standard that I'm using. And when we go through the rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7, we'll see God's standard. And how it's even greater. And when, Je when Jesus talks about surpassing, he's like, you've got to reach this standard. This is surpassing them. And it talks about things you can't even hold anger. Okay, I already felt. You know, I, it says you can't lust. Okay, well, fell. And just go through. I felled, I felled, I felled. I can't even surpass. I can't meet this standard. But remember what I said at the very beginning? Remember those first words out of Jesus' mouth? This is the key. This is actually, a, I was telling Marika, um, if you go through the Old Testament, there are keys about what's going to be ahead. So there's words that are given at the beginning that lets you know what the whole book is about. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth are to help you understand everything about his, his sermon, which is the poor in spirit. That key understanding of, of who we are is how we gain the kingdom. Because once you realize I can't surpass the best, then you are at a point where you are poor. I don't have what it takes. Right? You ever been in that situation where you're uh, just needing some money to, to get gas? Or you just, um, we had, you know, when me and Marika were first married, we lived in this, the cheapest apartment we could find in Redding, California. And it was five hundred dollars a month. The walls were extremely thin, 
We could hear all of our neighbors. And we, it was $500 a month. We're going to school full-time. I'm working half-time. I'm doing um, baseball at the same time. And we, there was months when it was like, we don't have enough money to make rent. And it's when you understand that moment where you have nothing, you realize how much you need. And that's the poor in spirit. It's bankruptcy. It's realizing I don't have the goodness necessary for the kingdom. And then if we just walk through those Beatitudes again, just walking through these ideas of the Beatitudes, and we go, okay, well now I realize I'm poor in spirit. Right? I can never help to surpass. And if we take Jesus' word seriously about how he fulfills all the, the words of the scriptures, I'll give you two examples of that. Isaiah 64, 6. And there God says, um, or Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like the leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. I don't know if you, um, I did this a couple times. It would be the wash basket, right? And I would work on the car and take a rag, throw it in there. Is that a good idea? No, because then it gets into the wash. And then all of the stuff, you better have a really good washroom machine or you're going to get yelled at. You know, because it gets on everything. Our filthy rags. That's what our righteousness is. And then uh, God says this in Jeremiah 2, 22. He says, although you wash yourselves with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me. Even when you dress yourself up as best you can. And that's that bankruptcy. And so when we walk through the rest of the Beatitudes, when I am bankrupt, when I am poor in spirit, then we get to... The mourners. I, we mourn, right? I mourn. I, I'm, I'm dead without God. I'm dead. And then you get to the next one. You're meek, right? The meek will inherit earth. Well, that means humility. I, I know I can't do it. I need to rely on something else. Um, Jim brought up Job. Well, in Job, I believe it's chapter 9, there's a point in Job where Job... He comes to this realization. I, I think this is a, the, a prophecy in Job where he goes, I need a mediator between God and man. If I could just have someone that could talk to God on my behalf. And, and at this point, it's that realization that there's that separation between us and God. There, I need to be humble. Right? I need to be humble. And then it says, the those who thirst after righteousness. Do you ever get really, really thirsty? Are we really thirsty for the righteousness of God? Because I don't have, right? If I realize, if I'm poor in spirit, I don't have the righteousness needed for the kingdom. Therefore, I, I need to thirst for it. Like a person without any water. Like a person that's walking down the street of quartzite in the summer. Thirsty. And it comes to this point where, okay, well, what's the, 
what do I need to do? And I love it says merciful, right? Those who show mercy will be shown mercy. And this, this scripture came this week, this Psalm 143, the very first week, uh, very first verse in that is this, Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy. When I come to that point of humility, when I, I realize my bankruptcy, I realize my sin, I'm, I'm mourning over my sin because I'm separated. Um, I'm thirsting after righteousness. What do I need to do? I need to turn to the one that has it. I cry out to God. I cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. My relief. There's a lot of relief that needs to happen when we recognize that we are sinners and that we are separated from a holy God. And then he goes and talks about the hearts being pured. This is all, okay, now this is all God's doing. It's his purity. It's his righteousness. It's him that's giving the kingdom. Right? And then it's the seek, those who seek peace, right? The peacemakers. There's the peacemakers with, uh, between us and God, right? We need that peacemaking, and we need peacemaking between each other. This is the cross. This is what the cross does. It fulfills everything that we need. It gives the righteousness of God to humanity if a person would accept it. And that's what it is. So we get this whole thing. So a disciple is someone that recognizes that they don't have the righteousness needed and that the only place of righteousness is God's and it, they rely on the mercy of God. That's the disciple. That's who Jesus is identifying as his disciple. And so we have that. So these three steps where we have to be the greatest, right? We have to have our righteous surpass the, the best people. And when we realize we can't, we have to go to the next one, which is to be poor in spirit. To realize that we are bankrupt before God. And then the final step to be a disciple is to cry out for the mercy of God. This is the acceptance of Jesus as Savior. This is when people say, are you saved? This is what they're talking about. Have you done this? Now, I'm not saying that this, like, you have to walk this three steps, right? They have to go, okay, I moved from step one to step two, and now I'm in step three. No, we're just pointing out this is what happens. Because if, we, if we're stuck in step one, what we're actually doing is, I can do it. I can be good enough. And Jesus is going to take us through the commands and he's going to go, are you? Because at the end, when, he talk, when we've been talking about this whole thing of Jesus um, fulfilling, right, fulfilling everything that's come before, the law and the prophets, when we get the end, in chapter 7, he has two things. One is a parable about the building your, hand, your house upon the rock. And the other one's his authority. And it sandwiches all of the, all what he talks about in the next few chapters. Because it's a realization that I can't. And we have to get to that point so that we can move into the, the grace of God. We can move into that point where I'm not good enough, but God is. God is good enough. He is merciful. He is gracious. Because he's helping us realize what we need. It's to help us get out of it by his power.
And so that is this whole little section here. And so my challenge for you this week is to walk through the Beatitudes and walk through the salt and light passage. Understand the identity of Jesus, and that's what we've been working on for eight weeks. Why? So we can get to this point of starting to ask the question, am I found in Jesus? Right? Both sides of the thing. Jesus' identity. Jesus' identity. We're in the middle. Am I in the middle? Am I found in Jesus? Can I be identified as his disciple? Am I poor in spirit? Do I mourn? Right? Do I seek peace? Am I strong enough to go through persecution? And all of the question is, go before God. Seek Him this week and, and go through that. Because it's in that point. And if, if we go, God, I, I really I do experience that bankruptcy. What should we do? Praise God. That is a good place to be. It's good to realize our bankruptcy. Right? It's really good when you realize you don't have enough money in the account. Right? Because that should motivate you to go, go get more money. If we realize that we are bankrupt in a righteous account, where do we need to go? We need to go get it. And there's only one place to get it. It's at the feet of Jesus. Because we can't do it. And so my challenge this week is just go through the Beatitudes. God, am I poor in spirit? God, do I mourn? God, do I thirst after your righteousness? And just walk through each one seeking God this week. There's enough to get through a week, right? Take one a day, you're good. And just go deep with God. And if, if you are, if God's saying, no, you're not. You don't recognize your bankruptcy. No, you don't recognize, you don't mourn over death the way I do. You know, no, you don't thirst after me. God, do that in me then. Bring me to bankruptcy. Bring me to a heart like yours. Bring me to thirst after you. And getting to that point of saying, God, I want to be greatly blessed. And how do I do that? I, just, I go before the only one that can do it, which is God. And so if we do that, then what are we called? The disciples of Christ. We are his followers. We are truly then Christians. Christ-like. And so, I want to encourage you. I don't, I don't want to end on this bad note. Here's a joke. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is a great moment in salvation history that we just read through. Because up to this point, you have all these people hearing the same thing. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, you've got to be as good as us. Do what we say. And here's Jesus saying, yeah, you can't. Just come to me. Come to me, I'll give you the righteousness you need. That's amazing stuff. Because I don't have to reach it anymore. God's already reached down to me. Sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you because you, you give us that righteousness that we can never hope to attain on our own. And so, Lord, I ask as we're continuing in worship that we would 
bear our, our hearts, our minds, our, our, our spirits, our souls before you so that they can be cleansed of all unrighteousness, that we could come before you in, in greater worship so that in all things we give you the glory that you are deserving and not that we think that we are. So Lord, help us to worship you as you always intended us from that moment in the garden to that moment when you return that we would worship you as you are deserving of it. So Lord, I thank you. I pray for my brothers and sisters this week that they would be brought ever deeper into who you are, that their identity would be solidified in you so that they can proclaim they can be the salt they can be the light that you have sent them out to be because you are a good and faithful god so lord i thank you it's in your son's name i pray amen